A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Derek. <laughs> and I'm Ray. I'm Alex Welcome back to another episode of Mostly Lit. Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of Mostly Lit. How are you guys doing today? Doing really good. Doing really good. Yeah. How's everyone? Yes, fantastic. <laughs> I'm great. Um, it's been a, yeah, it's been a decent week actually for yeah. us. Yeah, it's been decent. I haven't done much, but I've, I felt content. Haven't woken up too groggy, too disorientated. So. Do you use the sleep app? It's really good. I used to use that sleep app. I used to play like um, horrible tune, like waves. You know yeah, 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 yeah. So, you can change but, it. But now what I do actually to get to sleep, I watch videos on youtube of this thing called i think it's called amsr or something where people just make weird sounds and for it's like it makes me feel really relaxed and it's really strange amsr amsr it's really really AMSR. weird so AMSR. there's this book have you read um of course. There's, a, there's a book so i'm just no no this this guy um he's um he's an artist Why how can i forget his name he's a crazy artist he's got blonde hair he kind of like used to he commercialized art Give and Andy, Andy Warhol. Warhol. Yeah, he's... No, no, ASMR. No, ASMR. <laughs> yeah. no, basically, in his book... Oh, guys, who was that? Because we haven't that? actually introduced... Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, I uh, will. Um, strange. <laughs> who is that strange voice? Who is that there? Okay, so... Um, can our strange, mysterious voice introduce themselves, please? <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Conniff. Yay. Hi, Sam. Hi, thank Sam. you so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. I'm um, a big fan of your show. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh thank, thank you. Thank you for listening. You. Um, and so we're going to ask you, how have has your week been? I mean, can I finish my anecdote? Oh, God. <laughs> so, okay, so we've got AMSR. So, some, so you ASMR. go to sleep yeah, so with AMSR, the sound. I was going to say Andy Warhol. Andy book, Warhol. It's philosophy of Andy Warhol. There's a bit in it where he's on the phone to some woman and she literally goes through, She's she's got obsessive compulsive disorder with cleaning yeah. and she goes through everything that she cleans and I remember re- it's like pages and pages I was reading it and I was just strangely really relaxed and I was falling asleep Yeah, and I was like this is really really weird and then obviously when I went on YouTube and saw that there was like thousands of videos with millions yeah. of, of people it helps just- people with insomnia so I used to do that a lot like just Oh, so you know what it is yeah. I used oh, to I just put a podcast I just put like noise really and I fall asleep and I put it on timer Yeah, I fall asleep to it but I'm really glad now. I'm so tired. I just sleep. As in, I, I as soon as my head touches my pillow, mm. I don't, res- I don't know what's happened. I just sleep. Yeah. I don't know if that's healthy. I think well, it's not. weird. I went to sleep listening to you lot last night. Oh, oh. really? So you we're fresh in your mind. Episode. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened at the end because I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at us guys putting people to bed. <laughs> right. Amazing. <laughs> so we have Sam 
here on the show with us. You just said, Sam, "Oh, hi, I'm Sam Conniff." Like, yeah. like we're supposed yeah. to. Like, you're just a like, yeah. Guy. I'm just like, here. Like <laughs> just out here. Like. <laughs> what are you? Who are you, Sam? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who are you, and what are you doing here? Who let you in? Um, I have had a great week, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great week. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm having a lot of fun. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, it's been a really, really good week. I have a book coming out. I'm very grateful for you reading and inviting me on to talk about. Uh, and we're a week away from publication. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I got home from last night's dinner, so it's been a week of promo and interviews and yeah. trying to do my very best to raise this rebel flag as far up as I can. Yeah. Uh, and I came back last night to an email saying that we've got the bestseller um, thing on Amazon. Oh, amazing. Wow. On pre-sales, which is... Wow, that is, yeah. yeah it's not it's bad. Big news. Uh, second edition has gone to print because the orders are looking good. Good. So there's some, there's all sorts of interesting things. But as we yeah. get into the story, there's one or two, there's one or two things that aren't news yet that I've been save, saving to share with you oh fantastic, fantastic exclusive so Sam Coyliffe is the author of Be More Pirate mm-hmm. and we'll you, get into that a bit later yeah we'll get into that a bit later um, we and should do the rounds because we've missed the rounds and I don't want to miss the rounds okay the rounds oh, the, rounds the rounds is so, what are you reading so what am I reading this week I'm reading Indigo Donut by Patrice Lawrence Ooh. and that book I, like, I'm halfway through it really good book um, it's chronicles the life of um a young lady i forgot what her name is actually indigo obviously indigo she's um she's been in foster care mm-hmm. and um it's talking about her life with and at school and just generally growing up and her relationship with a young mixed race kid called bailey who has a huge ginger afro and it's a really interesting and complex story between the two because it's it's just inter- it's an interesting perspective on like looking back on what it's like being 15, 16. And then, you know, when you if you're in school and you've got a new person in your class and, you know, everybody kind of knows, oh, they're from, they're in social care mm-hmm. and this, that and the other, but nobody wants to ask the questions. So there's, there's like, they're kind of breaking down a lot of these taboos about it. Um, he, like there's a loads of questions about mixed race identity in there. Um, it's a really good book and it's a really interesting story. A bit like the, some of the characters frustrate me, but they are, I think the story is the story is growing into something that I can I would really recommend for like anybody who's interested in any YA to go mm. and read and obviously I trust it because it's Patricia Patrice Lawrence yeah. so so I mean I trust I'm it. so happy oh. you're like reading fiction yeah I'm very yeah. happy so context <laughs> so um, Ray and Derek have been trying to get me to read more real books no non-fiction um, are real books just no you you, you said you. I'm reading on fiction now. Don't look at me. I've never said anything no, like that. Do we have, do we have I've, po- no, I've just said I don't, okay, it's probably I don't like to read it, but now I'm kind of... Sorry, just because I've written a novel. <laughs> <laughs> fiction's coming next, don't worry. <laughs> hey, that's great. They told like me that. that I need to read more fiction books, so... And I need um, to read more non-fiction. But I have been reading more fiction and YA books in particular. different kind of writing, so it's... I've yeah. got to have a bit of both. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, definitely, I think so. But yeah, but Indigo Donut's really good. Um, and I'm really, I'm really into it so far. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been reading this week. Nice. Cool. How about you, Derek? What have you been reading? Um, I've been reading, well, I've been listening to one book and reading one. So after I finished with um, Be More Pirate. I was going to say, what I, the hell? I thought you were reading Be More Pirate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are. But. <laughs> but after I finished reading it, I um, went back and I read um, Self-Reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Because a lot of the things yeah. you talk about in there, I thought, yeah. okay, let me go back to that and kind of get more invigorated yeah. after, do you know what I mean? Um, I so love interesting, And I was listening to... Is that one of the few things that you've told me to read that I've loved? It's amazing, of course. I knew you'd love it because you're very 
individualistic and wow is that even a compliment it is a compliment in a way <laughs> it's very western um, and you're very overconfident which emerson definitely was i'm o- not a bad thing um if you're over any and also re um, listening to this it's called this audio book will put you to sleep there's Has a it? book coming out called this book will put you to sleep and right. it's just like really boring writing and apparently it's like scientifically proven to put you to sleep so i was listening to it and it's just the beginning bit is a guy like one sheep two sheep oh i count sheep so I three, oh i think i've seen that book Four sheep. Yeah. And then he goes on to start talking about... So you didn't fall asleep after the sheep count? No, I got up to where he he, he starts reading an extract from Samuel Pepys' diary. Okay. Which is very insulting, obviously, to Samuel Pepys. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's for you to be just sleep. But um, yeah. yeah, loads of different extracts from different books. And mm-hmm. it starts t- telling you about rocks and geology. And it says, would you like to know about... Not would you like... It starts telling you about mathematics. Just really things that... Like boring things. But it's really good. It's really interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting, but it's boring. It is. It's just... Is it stuff that you have no general use for in life? Hey. I don't think the point is to educate you. The point is to put you to sleep at okay. <laughs> you know I, mean, I mean, like, so how could it be interesting then? I just feel like... Then, no, the, the, I, I like when rocks. When I say interesting, I mean the concept of the book is interesting. Oh. The concept of the book is interesting. Yeah. The content isn't. I think that's a mark of a really good writer and research, though. If you can take seemingly, you know, boring, boring subjects yeah. and yeah. get into the depth and find the interesting story and anything. I saw an amazing talk a while ago, hmm. an entire hour on cutlery. And the psychology of cutlery, and how <laughs> some restaurants can charge more because they have better cutlery. And, 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 and at each level, we got more and more amazed, and everyone's up in arms at the end of it. So there's there's something great about going deep on rocks. Mm. Um, yeah, being able to talk about it, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, actually, that's actually. But it's yeah, fantastic. it's not interesting in the book. It's, yeah, it <laughs> you to sleep. But um, yeah, that's what I've been reading and listening to. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, I have had a pretty bad reading week actually. Um. Okay, well, I started off trying to get into Catch Twenty Two by Joseph Heller. Um, wow! Yeah, so I, this is it. Like, I've heard two so many people, bad reviews, though. So two people came up to me and they were like, "This book is amazing," and yeah. I was like, "Okay, I like reading people's favorite books. I really think it gives you an insight into who they are." Mm. And so I, like, I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to read it." And I got through like the first two pages, and then I put it down, and then I just forgot. Um, is so it I'm, confusing? Someone said this is confusing. I have like jump back and forth in time. I haven't gotten that far. It's it's quite non-linear. Yeah. He's quite esoteric and his level of near... I mean, he's off the chart. Yeah. How little he cares. Um, (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. It's it's got some magic in there. It's worth this perseverance. It's not like Samuel Pepys, I get you, right? That that, I've been... I read a lot of 18th century and 17th century from my research. And by God, it's hard. Like, Mm. they're just... Thou shalt forth. You will not to, and you're like, well, it gets to the point, man. Yeah, yeah. It's I love similar. that shit. Dense I love stuff. that shit. Dense with Joseph Hill. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm gonna go back Joseph and possibly this this coming week read it. And I picked up uh, the Outsider by Albert Camus. Whoop. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I hope I inspired you to read that with all of my oh, my absurdist talk and. Um, I think. Do you know what it is? I was feeling a bit low on like Wednesday. And I was like, oh, let me read something grim. So you picked up. <laughs> so you want to be even deeper in your yeah, misery. Yeah, but that's what I do. That you guys yeah, That's what I do. Whenever masochists. there's like a problem, I just, I want to go deeper in it. You guys just... are masochists. It's all right. I, when I, I, when I feel depressed, I pick up Nietzsche. Right? Yeah. I Same. Do. I play soccer. Civilization and its discontent is my go-to like, let me find out about the world. It's not that terrible. That's Actually, not Nietzsche. That's Freud, isn't it? Oh shit, that's Freud. Sorry. Oh, okay. But um, I, I pick up Civilization and Discontents. With uh, Nietzsche, I pick up that spoke Zarathustra. I could not get through that book. Really? I could not. Get I actually, um, I picked that up because of um, um, Be More Pirate, actually. 
because there was a part where you guys, where you talked about rebellion, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and Nietzsche is very rebellious. Yeah. Um, cool. Can I ask you a question? What? Okay. Sure. Ask you what you're reading. <laughs> right. I'd, lo- I'd love to tell you what I'm reading, but the amount you have to read, right? And I, I also know, that, you know, because you're persons of renown, so I know that you all have busy lives too. <laughs> How, how do you get through so many books? But also, what do you think of something like Blinkist? So, I... Wait, what's Blinkist? Yeah, that's what oh, sorry. I was okay. going to be like, Google! Because literary, the literary uh, industry, which yeah. you kind of represent... In really? Days, I don't put us ...seems to there. quite dislike or maybe fear or, or resent Blinkist. But I, I'd love to know your I just deleted it off my phone. Mainly because I had to pay. Okay, one more time. What's Blinkist? But <laughs> Sam, oh, can, it lets you, you read le- key lessons from book, 2000 so. non-fiction books and 15 of you. I mean, that's a cheat. into seven minutes that you can either read or listen to. Fiction and non-fiction. Fiction yeah. And non-fiction. So it, just, it condenses so them. Interesting. Yeah. I Seven minutes. Now, is that a crime on books or does that allow you to get to the core stuff really quickly? If it's dense and hard material, does that allow you to understand the, the essence of Nietzsche or is that... You know, undermining publishing and the joy. Of I think by I think trying to avoid the added arrogance of the writer and the the, the ultimate flair around everything. Because sometimes we get caught up in the flair and not the point. Yeah. Um, when it's nonfiction, I like to go for the point. Yeah. So I like to just find the points of it and then take those and kind mm-hmm. of absorb it. When it comes to fiction, I'm a bit more concerned with the story. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather them not slice away the story, but I pick up the themes as I go. And I just found it quite... For me, coming into writing a bit of non-fiction, there were those books, right? And it was my absolute determination not to write one of those books that kind of says what it is on the cover, tells you that story in the first chapter. And by the fourth chapter, like, if you tell me the same fucking thing again, yeah. story around it, I'm, I'm getting at, like, you know, Seth Godin kind of stuff. Yeah. He's not an absolute genius, but stringing a blog post into an entire book. So those ones go yeah. down very, very well on, on yeah. the I think if... I agree with Alex to a certain extent that there is something about fiction that if it's a whole body of work... I personally think it it's it's like going on. What are those um, things that help you with like your juicy things? Spark notes, spark notes, and bite sizes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like going on those to. But then it's like, what are you reading for? Mm-hmm. If you are reading because you want to talk to your friends, you know, add this bit of information into a, a conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, Nietzsche said this. And like, oh, have you read that book? then I get why you would do that but if you want to actually find out about something if you actually would just want to sit down and read a book I think it's pointless I don't think I don't think that's the point of Blinkist to to show off to your friends but but it can be used like that if if it's non-fiction and you want to find out something um, very quickly Mm. then cool use it but if you want to take your time if you want to be introduced to the book so you're like all right, I want to read this book let me see the main points on Blinkist and then I'll probably read the, the rest. Yeah. I don't know. It depends. Everybody have different, has different has different, different reading way, styles. So. I'll, I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> so they have millions of subscribers and they have hundreds of thousands of paying subscribers. When I, and I've, I, I love it as a service, right? I get through three books on my walk to work, uh, you know, on topics I want to know about of the day. Mm. Like that's how I went through all um, uh, Vernarkis's books because I yeah. find that his writing style annoys me, but I really think he's intelligent, mm. so I want to get to it. Uh, so when I first sat down at Penguin Random House talking about marketing and plans and I was really keen to work with pirates, I said, what about Blinkist? And the response from the guys at Penguin Random House was, you know, they are the enemy. They're coming to the threat. <laughs> yeah, so to the publishing think, industry. Do you think they're a threat? I mean, I audio books were once a threat. Um, so what was a threat? 
Blinkist. Blinkist. Condensing all that in, like, so people would now then go to that service rather than buy a book. I'm saying, did you say audiobooks were a threat? Yeah, they were. In terms of actual, yeah, when it first was coming out, there were so many articles written on how audiobooks will now, you know, ruin the way people read. Like, the the, the marketing strategy of books. E-books would ruin ruin print. Print. Yeah. But now there's this resurgence of press, like, of actual print novels, and it's. I don't. I don't. I think it's a. It's a threat in anything. I mean, when anything's new, it's always a quote-unquote threat to things. I mean, like people are going back to vinyl. People are going back to cassettes and all like these different things. Bit, you know, is there, there's something so in the generation. Is it actually the story, or is it like somebody summarising? So that's how they're getting around the legal technicality, right? So the book's out. They can then buy it. It's a different enough. So it's effectively like a review of the books. Yeah. They, they just sidestep the copyright issue. Keep it. Each blink is only. 300 and something words um, and it's an excellent and acute dissection of the text i mean you can really get through big materials i just i just did post um post capitalism by uh, uh paul mason on it i would totally read it for non-fiction if i especially when i want to find out something but then it's it's just another way of reading i think it, it is a threat in terms of just, just uh, right? entries yeah. to like another way of reading barriers of entry it's opening that whole sphere of people mm. coming in but um at the same time publishing houses are still alive and popping so i don't I don't, yeah, I don't know if i would see it as a threat though but i mean it's a competition yeah yeah i don't know i'm trying because to you would choose one i'm or thinking the other. about in like the pirates hence now i don't want to get into the book yeah. but i'm thinking is it something that publishers because then could then take advantage of and use sorry okay let's 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 move on anyway <laughs> sorry god um, Sam, what are you reading? <laughs> I was about um, to go on a rant, sorry. Yeah, I think, I'm not yet. To, I'm listening to um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Oh. Yay! Um, uh, which I read a long while ago, but I, I didn't, I, didn't pay, I read because I thought I should read it because it was new and it was a thing, and I, I obviously didn't pay attention. And my circumstances, as I've left uh, Liberty, which is a business I've founded and run, which you know, uh, works a lot with young black Londoners, um, young people from all over the country, actually, uh, and the board there's a change going on so I wanted to revisit the text because mm. I thought there was some useful stuff in there but unfortunately um, the author's read the book and she reads it in a really uh, you do audio book don't you? Yeah, yeah have you listened to it? I haven't not that one no I, I, it's for such an interesting and important text it's really it seems really badly produced like no offence to them but yeah yeah you know, she, the volume comes in and out she doesn't sound you know, there's mm. no passion it's really flatly read yeah oh, right. um, it's a real disappointment I think that, should, that, that comes down to the way a lot of publishing houses see audiobooks so something like someone like Penguin Random House they put a lot of production into I have their audiobooks I yeah whenever I listen to a Penguin book it's like really character led yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. just in the story yeah. when it listen- comes to audiobooks Penguin Random House yeah. like they are definitely leading the way because they take it very seriously mm. Mm. Um, I mean it's his own imprint audio, Penguin Audio is yeah. his own imprint so. yeah. and there, there's, a, there's a man called Roy isn't there oh Roy's amazing oh you know Roy well, I, I did my audio bit with Roy oh yeah of course you did yeah I'm, yeah I'm a little bit in love amazing guy I love yeah, Roy yeah, yeah. Amazing. everybody loves Roy yeah yeah he's amazing <laughs> but this is the title of the episode everybody loves Roy <laughs> <laughs> we love you Roy if we don't know you <laughs> Okay, so I'm reading. Sorry, I'm reading alongside it because I'm uh, I'm really interested in. I never thought I could write a book. I, I struggle with writing. I've always found it quite difficult. I'm, um, uh, I love reading, but writing has never been my forte. And I can see that fiction would be even harder. So I'd really like to see what I can do. So I've been reading Douglas Adams. So I think he's my favourite fiction author. Oh, which what you've been reading? I just went straight back. I'm going to start from the beginning, go through them all. So oh, really? Guys, the galaxy. Yeah. Are you going to oh, read okay. the um, Owen Holfer? <laughs> yeah. Well? Yeah, okay, I okay. interviewed him when he did it. I thought that was such an interesting, but just the writing, I think, is something else. It's extraordinary. Yeah, definitely. Like what he covers and how funny it is and how sharp yeah. it is. It's yeah, just, yeah. I think it's really good to read your favourite, like, 
writer when you're struggling to write. I always go back to Oscar Wilde if I'm like struggling to write. Yeah. Really? Because I love the way Oscar, like he makes yeah. me laugh. I love the way he writes. Yeah, I, I, I used to think, I, used, I love Oscar Wilde's short fiction. I like his short stories. I love his And I like plays. his essays. I love I his essays. I think Dorian Gray is very... I don't go back. I've never reread is, Dorian Gray. He's after a while. His style in that book, it makes me very, it's very sickly if that makes sense. The way Dorian Gray's written. Silent hand gestures to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's always making he's silent like hand gestures. Uh, behind the scenes, <laughs> the orchestra is really beautiful. <laughs> and, then, and then it's just like. Well, he used to ramble, and then Alex <laughs> no, and Alex is just graceful like, movements, trying to <laughs> bring everybody back into director. <laughs> Anyways. Sorry. Who's lit this week, right? Who's lit this week? Okay. Well, who's lit this week is the amazing. Um, <laughs> The the new young poet laureate of is it London? Yeah, for London. Yeah, Um, and it was up on um, spread the word. Her name is Mumtaza, Um, and does it normally like run for a year? Isn't it? Yes, yeah. So it used to be uh, Kayla Kayla Femi. Yeah, it was Kayla Femi, Um, and they actually like they've. um, like written like this youth manifesto thing which is quite interesting mm-hmm. and like the other young people have like co-created a youth manifesto which will inform Mumtaz's work as a, a young poet laureate mm-hmm. um she's been like always been in very engaging with like young people from across london um and i just i just love it when you know fellow east african i was like yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> um so go girl we're really happy for you um and we hope you do amazing things to inspire um, young people of London. The youth, yeah. Mm. yeah, specifically young black women. Um, and it's, it, I love the fact that it's gone from Caleb to another like amazing young black uh, person. So, yeah. You lit girl. Oh, we, we should have like the horns, like the lit horns. What, the bashment horns? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mad. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, but then, yeah. um, <laughs> you don't need to. That's actually a really good, that's a really good impression. <laughs> uh, Derek, I'm glad you brought that section back. That's good. Yay! Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Alex is doing. <laughs> I have no gem today. No gem. Oh, that's fine. Sorry. So we're here. Okay, with Sam, with Sam what's, Conniff. What's the gem? What are we missing? That, so basically, so Derek has a gem yeah. each week. Usually, a book right. that needs uh, to be rediscovered. That he hasn't. That he feels that deserves right. discussion. Rediscovery. Yeah. Yeah. But you've um, been slacking for the past three weeks. Do you know what it is? It's it's difficult now to find because I'm a lot more picky with the gems now, mm. and I'm thinking I can't just be you know. I mean, actually, I could do yeah, Douglas Adams. I could just do Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the first one, which I think is the best one. Okay, the funniest one. I don't think I'll ever read it. I, I think I'll. I, I, think I, I know. Watch it. I know. It's hilarious. No, 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 don't watch the movie. The thing I watched parts the of the movie and I thought it was. Trash. I remember I was at school. I was in year year five, and there's this kid sorry. that, you, that so you, sorry. in my class, so he always used to read it. He always used to read it. And I was looking at him like, why are you reading such a, why are you reading a book like that? And I, and I had the Harry Potter book and you it was just. out where he is now. He's in charge of something. Keep... Uh... <laughs> Definitely I see not. him on the train to you work sometimes. It. It's, it's, uh, it's so. Really you're, think, you're thinking, oh, it's sci-fi, but it's, it's, it's funny sci-fi. It's not like, it's a, it's an op, it's, it's a space opera. It kind of is a, a space opera, but it's fucking, I, I had tears in my eyes when I was reading it. The first 10 pages, I was crying. I yeah. couldn't believe it. How I, old were you when you first read it? I was like 24. Okay, I was like 24 when I first read it. It's, and just, it's, it's just time for me. And it's really, really clever as well. And the way he writes, you're right, the way he really writes is amazing. And this thing, the, four, the fourth book, I, I think the writing in the fourth book 
is the best he's ever written, but the story is not the strongest in the fourth book. I didn't really like the whole love angle that he was taking in the fourth book, and I didn't like that it was mostly set on Earth either. But if, you know, so some of the topics that I've heard you discuss, and particularly you two, as you argue very, um, uh, you know, some of the more intellectual themes or some of the thinkers that you explore, Douglas Adams sits in that category. But mm. He, mm. he seems to, or he appears to be writing comedy uh, science fiction, but he's not. He's, he's writing deeply um, thoughtful uh, critique and investigation of life, the universe, and everything. I mean, it's it's a, it's a journey and a search for the yeah. mm. of man and everything else. I mean, it's something special. Really. How many pages is the first book? Nine hundred and fifty-seven. No, it's not. It's Sorry, like, it's, like, it's like one hundred and eighty. <laughs> the first book's like one hundred and eighty. Okay, that's something that I can read that in like a, um, a day. It's it's a story and five. It's a trilogy of five parts. Is it five now? Yes, in five parts. Yeah, God gets argued out of existence by logic in chapter three. I mean, I mean, are they not always trying to argue God out of existence? And we find through out logic? the meaning of the universe. The okay, that of is life as well. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. in that book, not in that book three. In book three, yeah. the meaning which. It, don't tell me. I'm don't tell me what the meaning. You, I mean, I know what the meaning of my life is, but um, it's probably going to be. So I don't. So basically, this is. So you know how I love Dan Brown, right? Because uh-huh. I love his like. I just love Dan Brown. Um, yeah. and Origin, guys, like. I was raving about this book. You need to stop rolling your eyes before I come there and all smack right, them out of, right. cool. um, out of your lids. Out of your lids. So now, now, Ray. <laughs> sorry, I'm not trying to be violent. Yeah, guys. growth. Remember, growth. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, he was trying. He basically tried to argue God out of uh, existence. There was a there was a character in there who was trying to um, argue God out of existence using science. And the argument, like I don't even remember it because that's how boring and crappy it was. And that's Dan Brown in a nutshell. No, no, that is not. Okay, you need to... Have you even read Dan Brown? I've read The Da Vinci Code. You need to read... Also, that's not the best Dan Brown. Well, it's, obviously, it's the most well-known. So yeah, well, the most well-known isn't exactly the best. Okay. Anyways, so well, I'm a bit annoyed because every time, like, his books are very, like, thrilling. So you're rushing to find a solution. And normally, like, for example, there's... Someone a- described them as just someone running through doors. Yes, you said this in a previous episode. We know. <laughs> oh, actually, oh, in the films. Yeah. That's actually, that's actually what it's actually what it is. Like, and he's he's all about the geography and he's always describing this, anyways. But everybody's always trying to tell to tell God, doesn't he? And they use the same argument. This is very boring. But I will read this damn Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book for you guys, and I will get back to you. It's you know. nothing like Dan Brown. I can. <laughs> is it thrilling? Because I like a nice plot. Because most of the times you're like, oh yeah, he writes really well, which means there's no plot. No, there's definitely there's definitely a plot. I mean, there's a plot. It's funny. Uh, you know, like like Sam said, there's a lot of philosophical questions that I. To be honest with you, I probably haven't picked up on a lot of them. I'm probably going to have to is go it back YA and read it. No, it's not. It's just, it's literature. It's just... <laughs> All right. I'll I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's literature. Give it a go and let me know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Oh, my God. We haven't even gone into the main topic. No, we haven't. I know. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going we're gonna to talk to you about your book, Be More okay. Pirate. Am I allowed to ask you questions? Yeah, Later yeah, yeah, on. Absolutely. But we got the questions for you first. Oh, right. Yeah? I mean, I'll... That's all right. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> You're in charge. I just got so much I want to ask you. That's fine. Um, what inspired you to write this book? Do you want to tell people about about the book and where sure, it came yes, from? Please, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, where do we start? Well, we start we start 300 years ago because 300 years ago there were a group of uh, frustrated young professionals in their 20s. I'm looking at you guys um, with big ideas about the world around them. They lived in a society that was really broken um, and unfair with an mm-hmm. establishment that was totally self-interested in a system that didn't seem like it was going to get fixed anytime soon 
Uh, redundancy and uncertainty faced them on the horizon, and the backdrop was interconnected international conflicts that confused the fuck out of anyone that was looking to what was going on. Mm. I mean, the circumstances seem spookily sim- similar. Mm. Mm. And the millennials of the 18th century didn't do what I worry that your generation may do, which is to accept the fact that the way things are is the way things have to be. And they said no. Mm. And they rejected the rules of society, and they broke them. But what distinguishes this period of piracy, why the history needs to be re-understood, is because they didn't just break the rules, they rewrote the rules. Yeah. And that is the distinct uh, attribute of this, this set. They rewrote the rules of society and they went and fought, yes, as we all know, but the bit we don't know so much is they went and fought for fairness mm. and equality and, and equal rights and a whole new system that gave working class, underprivileged groups, people of colour, you know, all genders, equal opportunities. And the innovations that they created in the, in the fire of going to war with the rest of the world, at war with the world, they describe themselves as. Mm-hmm. The innovations they created in this tiny period of time, 30 years of a few thousand pirates against the empires of the world, the innovations stay with us now. And my, my mission, my aim is twofold. One, to put these guys where they belong. And it's a bold statement, right? I know, but... I think they should be held somewhere on a spectrum between the civil rights movement and the suffragettes. That's the, that's the true space of social revolutionaries that I'd like to argue they have and should be looked up to as. Mm-hmm. And secondly, that in waving this flag exactly 300 years to the year, that perhaps on where otherwise I think there's a, there's a vacuum of imagination for leadership of, of, of your generation, and actually that this level of rebellion inspires your generation to leapfrog those in front of you and take some power right so what i wanted to ask you is that do you think that their motivations should play a part in how we see them because of course in the book you do state that these pirates were trying to change their world they mm-hmm. weren't trying to change the world yeah so do you think that, that we should take that into consideration and say well okay well they did affect all of these things around the world but that wasn't their main intention uh, intentionality is key. I've heard you talk about this before, and I think it, um, you know, absolutely philosophically sits behind things. And I think that, that's, that's true. But I, I find that in... So a couple of years ago, I did a project, and it meant I spoke to young people in nearly every uh, country within the Commonwealth. Um, oh, wow. And what blew me away was that every single young person I spoke to, and that didn't matter whether they were rural or urban or middle class or yeah. educated or whatever it was, there's this broad sense of the world hasn't got my back no one is coming to save me the institutions that are supposed to be there for me I don't believe in yet somehow I am completely optimistic about the future and my ability to create change now the nuance there was whether change was my, my town my village my family or the world mm. and that, that spectrum seems to be um, pretty elastic in lots of young people's mind and I find that really really compelling so I don't mind when I'm talking about rebellion or, or the spirit of change and rule breaking I really don't mind I've I've done these workshops in, in the development of the book in, in Baltimore with young people from Detroit and in Chicago, you know, tough places. I've done them in Athens, I've done them in Bradford, Brixton, I've done them in townships in South Africa. And routinely, this is, this is what I'm finding. You know, young people with their hands on the levers of change yeah. and a level of optimism to create change. And really, I don't mind uh, if the intentionality is positive change, if they want to fuck shit up, as, 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 as it was played back to me, then I don't mind. I but really don't. what... Um level of fucking shit up should one go for because i mean you mentioned the suffragettes and i think 
between like 1912 1914 they went through this whole aspect of civil disobedience and to the point where i think they showed it in the suffragettes movie that one of one of them like threw herself in front of king george's horse and died a few days later how yeah emily davidson how what is the extent in which you rebel and where is the line draw where do you say no because everybody can be quite like you don't know because as much as you want to protect people and you yeah. want to go out and make change, it will somehow in that moment harm someone. We always talk about maybe pirates mm-hmm. in hindsight. We say that was a pirate, yeah. but in the moment they're a rebel and they're messing things up for us. Yeah. So this is uh, so I'm going to just amplify that question to the, the, your your listeners really. Actually, yeah, so wherever you are, <laughs> falling asleep or, or on a run or not paying full attention, like. Pay attention for a second. <laughs> this question, I think, is profoundly important. When will you know that it is the right time to break the rules? Yeah. Because it's not always the right time to break rules because people get hurt. It's not always the right time to kick off in the street because there might not be the meaning behind it. You might be the one that gets in the most trouble. But history tells us again and again that those who broke the rules and the laws of the day, mm-hmm. the criminals of the hour, yeah. become the heroes of the next day. Right? Yeah. Many of our heroes in their moment. And we also know, as we look back, those who were just following orders... We, we judge very dimly. Harshly, yeah. We live in historic times. There is no question of that. What is going to go down in your life? Significant life events are going to go down. There isn't any question of that. We just saw what, 6 million people migrate around Europe because of conflict. We're going to see a minimum estimate 20 million migrations because of environmental degradation. We're back to the brink of thermonuclear war. You know, we, we, we didn't escape economic collapse. We've just, we've just pushed it out a little bit. There's Another so, one is soon you know, coming. There's too, many, <laughs> there's too many options, right? Yeah. So in those times, and with the leaders that you've got, when will you know if it is upon you it's the right time to break the rules. I think it's a really important, sincere and historic question of the moment. And are you ready for it? So I think there is, yes, a risk. Absolutely a risk. Yeah. And I think you need to know. Um, I ask a question in the book. I ask it in the workshops. That run. What values do you have that you hold so dear that you would fight for them, that you would hit someone and you'd take a punch for them, you know, that you'd risk your job for them, that you'd risk what mm. matters mm. to you? Or take a bullet like Malala, like you said in the book. Yeah. I think it's time for us to really ask those questions of ourselves because I wouldn't be surprised if you're asked in a serious manner. And when you are, I want you to be ready. Yeah. yeah. There was a tweet somebody put out the other day just to follow on what you said. They're like, how many podcasts, how many books, how many <sighs> blog posts, how many... Um, what was the other thing? How many talks are you going to go to? Workshops and talks. Before you actually start what you actually say you're going to start. I think that's important. But what perspective do you have on our generation from somebody looking outward in what do you think about what we're doing and about what a lot of people are do you think there's a is there a conflict there that you think or do you think that we're not moving as quickly what do you from mm. what you see what are you looking at do you think we'll all talk do you think we'll all talk i don't i mean i'll answer that after you i mean, but, why are you I'm, answering but, it? I, mean I won't answer it but i i'm I, i'm rebelling yeah, yeah, i'm rebelling on sam. that I i'm asking sam. no no sam you go ahead because <laughs> No, you started with a thought. I think it's important. No, my yeah. issue is I Every feel like we are very, being very, like, there is an injustice on our, because mm. I see some of our generation, you know, we get called the snowflake generation because we're always offended um, about everything. We melt easily. Yeah. And <laughs> I actually, I question whether it's actually us who are tacitly complying to the structures or whether it's the... 40 year old baby boomer range who are doing that 
rather than us. I, I mean, of course, there are many of us. Like, for example, I'm very... When I, when I was reading your book and you were talking about rebellion, I'm naturally somebody that likes rules. And so when I was reading it... Like in financial regulation, don't you? Not financial reg, but... You know, but um, so <laughs> you guys are so mean. <laughs> but um, I I like rules, and and I since I was a child, I was a very obedient child, and breaking them, I I see the value in them, and I I almost encourage it. But it's actually not my natural state. I don't think you know, many people's natural and so. When I was reading your book, it was really reading me to filth because it was saying, what are you doing? You yeah. need to, you know. And so I like I think last week we talked about um, accepting ideologies and we had that whole rant on um, do we rebel stuff? Do we accept it? And and I think that breaking rules and becoming pirates or pirates in of themselves awaken us from the slumber of the society in which we're living in. Yeah. Um, but then I don't know it, to the extent that it's us mm. doing that per se. So I, I think you've got to ask yourselves the honest question. I think the, the grown-ups, let's say now, you know, the, the, the kind of classic tier of uh, 55-year-old white men. Yeah. Who mainly, and the, what's that stat? There's more blokes called Jack and the CEOs of the Fortune 500. <laughs> oh, my God. Women or something. You know, that kind of generation is a bottleneck of progress at the moment. Mm. Yeah. And it served relatively well, as, as capitalism did for the latter half of the 20th, 20th century. You know, on the whole, we invented computers and the internet and, and better things and moved a billion people out of poverty. But as I say in the book, I think, the, um, I think we've left the fridge door open and, and, and that shit's gone off. And it, now it needs another upgrade. <laughs> exactly. As we, as we have before. Yeah. And I don't think, I think that there is a, a complex place. And I have some sympathy for that tier because they don't really know what to do. You know, they've read the books, they've seen the blogs, they've seen you guys coming. They're like, yeah, we need radical change and disruption. Man. We need but, diversity. Exactly. <laughs> and they're you know, desperately yeah. trying to get to grips with it. And they know that, you know, whatever industry they're in, you know, the industries that haven't had their Weinstein Me Too moment are, you know, planning to deal with the fallout of theirs because mm. it's coming. Like yeah. The music industry is coming. For the advertising industry, it's coming. You know, <laughs> those practices were commonplace, not just in mm. movies, right? Of course. And that was the norm then. That's not the norm for your generation. And I think your generation is accelerating. I think there is something different. I think you're living it out. I mean, who told you to start a podcast? Who told you to become you know, as influential as you are? Who told you to, to do something that the whole publishing industry kind of has fallen around and has got all eyes on you and wants to know what you're going to do next with it, right? Nobody, I imagine, told you to do this. Mm. And what you demonstrate in this sense of uh, enterprise or rebellion or piracy, as I would call it, mm. will create ripples. Is not the rest of the publishing industry trying to pull their shit together about their podcast strategy? <laughs> 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 do what those guys are doing. I mean, how, how many publishers have you got on the phone, right? <laughs> so you're you're having an influence. That's mm. the way pirates create change. They cause trouble at the edges. And then over time, it yeah. enters the, the centre. And you know you've been successful in the centre things. It's their idea. And it won't be as cool as yours, but it will have created a, a sense of movement. So I think it is essential because I don't think the change or the solutions that we've currently got are close to the weight and the scale of the problems that we've got. How do you feel about pirates reacting to other pirates and somebody having a particular type of thought, um, questioning it, seeing it move forward, um, getting to a certain solution and then another pirate comes along to question that yeah. how do those two minds interact with each other to ensure that there is a sort of a harmonious flow or do we need a harmonious flow do yeah, we need do more we conflict? Need conflict yeah yeah i mean I, i'm a big believer that we do i think i think we are so conflict is such a taboo mm. we find it so hard i think publishing finds it hard I think lots of industries find it hard to have a good frank disagreement 
But usually, out of conflict, better things come. Piracy's role in the evolution and innovation in capitalism is mm. to challenge, right? A new, yeah. new territory is discovered, or there's been market failure in one. Mm. You know, publishing wasn't necessarily delivering, it had an easy life, and ebooks come along and threaten it. So it pulls its socks up, you know, and Together, you saw a lot yeah. of innovation in publishing happen. Yeah. Um, you saw it in, you know, the uh, pirate radio. Right. If, if Radio Caroline hadn't sailed half a mile outside of legal waters and started broadcasting and very quickly had a third of the country finally listening to some decent music. I mean, it's the 90s. <laughs> and all you had was two radio stations from the BBC. And just imagine like, the level of gardening shows or whatever it was. Uh, and so Pirate Radio broke the monopoly of the BBC. Within years, there were five channels. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it creates it creates necessary through those conflicts we get better uh, outcomes. You wouldn't have. You know, we're going to come to Steve Jobs later as well. Mm. Favorite Steve Jobs line: He was he was brought in by the assembled heads of the world's biggest music label yeah. in the face of music piracy uh, to help them come up with a solution. But they were just they weren't seeing the opportunity. He tells them famously to get their heads out of their asses. <laughs> One of my favourite parts of the book, yeah, actually. Amazing. I love, I love that whole piracy bit. It's great, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's it. If we can, we could, uh, if we can reshift our idea that these Caribbean pirates weren't just bloodthirsty rogues, and there is a bit of that, I'm not shying away yeah. from it. Um, but actually, they're, they're social revolutionaries. Then we can perhaps begin to understand that the notion of piracy is, is a positive driver of innovation and change. Mm. And then perhaps we can say to your generation, look, guys, these dudes in charge whilst they're saying the right stuff, aren't going to make change as quick as that might need to happen. And perhaps you need to break a few more rules. Perhaps you need to kick in a few more doors. Perhaps this podcast is a good start, but uh, you know, maybe next time you take over the Penguin podcast, you know, lock yourself in the Penguin podcast. <laughs> How many listeners do they have? A lot. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. So mo- next Mostly Lit podcast, if we're going to really do a Mostly Pirate podcast, mm. you can get the keys, probably. Probably, yeah. Why not? Right, fine. <laughs> let's do the second... Rock up there and be like, hi. So let's do the- we'll do the second half of this one mm. in there. <laughs> I we love re- it. We record an hour's talk. Get the best guest you can. Someone, you know, more than me. Someone like Sam. Uh, or get someone who wouldn't get that exposure. That's the best way to do it. Get someone who wouldn't get that exposure, get the keys, record that podcast, and then flip the files just before it goes out. Ah. That's the kind of shit mm. that you could be doing and getting away with in the positions that you are that would only, you know, benefit fit penguin in the long yeah. run and over time perhaps penguin then go wow you know we need more diversity on our podcast mm. and actually you know two for celebrities and stephen fries and then one for someone <laughs> new these are the kind of rules i'm advocating i you, see you've yeah. begun, your civil disobedience there's more to be done um tell us, tell us about your own piracy mission that you went to so i, I heard that you went to waterstones and now, this was hilarious because when right? i saw the picture i was like he I did what died. <laughs> what I did you died. do I could, I could just have this picture of you running down Piccadilly <laughs> trying to escape <laughs> trying to escape the book <laughs> and I, trying to dive down criminal to the, the you know what right? it's, it was just maybe it's just a kind of innate pirate sense of mind and, and that's why I do you know I'm advocating a, a, a break a rule a day so you can get into the habit yeah. I especially, like this I think I'm going to do you. this I mean, yeah to find one that feels just a bit un- it's got to feel a bit uncomfortable I might place. text the boy twice there you go <laughs> So what? So what? Sam, the world hasn't ended. Then maybe try something else. Right. What Sam did was he like, he went in and took his book and he put it into the into the, the book that is not out yet. Not out yet. <laughs> he took his copies of the book and he put it into the display window. How? Uh, how he put it in a display of window at Waterstones. And they, and was it Piccadilly? <laughs> the flagship yeah. and they had all there's you know Jordan B. Peterson's The Twelve Rules of Life or something is out. Yeah. Right. And you know, absolute respect. He's selling. And he's just sold out the Hammersmith Apollo or something. 
Um, and I'm sure it's a brilliant book, but it's kind of the business book that I'm slightly standing against. You know, the classic Times New Roman white font bloke <laughs> stands up and tells you how smart he is. Thank you very much, bloke. Uh, and so I just replaced all of those in the Penguin um, nice. reception. It wasn't actually my idea. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pirate within Penguin who's... Oh. So we did that together. Uh, so that's so, what you need to have. You need to have someone inside. Okay. Pirates inside. <laughs> uh, so that was just in my mind. And then I was walking between meetings. I went past Waterstones. And I like to go in there every now and then and just say, do you have a book called Be More Pirate coming out? You know, just- <laughs> Just to, you know, I can see you hobbling in yeah. and like, your peg leg yeah, exactly. <laughs> and your have the board meeting. Like, so they have they have a book. Everyone's asking for this book. Who is it? Exactly. Yeah. Oh my it's, god. There's a lot of middle-aged white blokes who's coming in asking for this one book. Uh, no, no. Right. Seriously, the um, the earliest stage of the process, uh, I've had a really great experience. I, I I purposely didn't take on an agent. I really wanted to learn. And at one stage, in my ambition, so I went to the publishers, the printers, I saw the books come off the press. You know, the, the guys at Penguin have been tireless and brilliant at letting me understand each process, even when I've really exhausted them. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to go into Waterstones. So I marched into Waterstones one day, just started a conversation with the manager. Hello, you know, what happens with a book? Yeah. Like, you? <laughs> and, then, and it was great in the end. But tell me one thing. Do you know, you may know this, you'll work in the industry. I, How I many don't. books on average does Waterstones order for a new author with a new title? I would like to know that, actually. Same I don't here. think we know, know, but... Well, let's have a guess. Let's, let's, let's have a prize. So, 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 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ask, ask the question again. How so, many... Waterstones. Mm-hmm. You know them well. Uh, there's a... Let's, all right. As, as a rule of thumb... Right. Okay, for Beam or Pirate, how many books, on average, do you think they would order per store for a new book from a new author of Beam or Pirate? I want to say a thousand. I want to say fifty. Per store, per store, three fifty. Regime, what are you saying? <laughs> Come on, Rashan, spit it out. Five. 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 Okay. Four. Wow. I'll say twenty-five. Oh, I said a thousand, but I want to I'm say a bit too 50. optimistic. One. Wait. So, so, so one. there's a new book that's coming out from from a new author, yeah. and one. they put one book in the store. One per store. So you're trying to tell. So 
Okay. Oh wow. Well, you'll get this for the math point of view, right? So that's what it defies the logic. He's like ridiculous. So then, what do you do if it sells well? Then we'll get. How do you know it sells well? You've sold one, right? Exactly. The the math don't. That makes no sense. It doesn't correspond. So. So you can just go and buy your own book just to get more delivered. Oh oh yes. Um, so I've been find, I've been popping into different watchstones, and it turns out there's a quite a lot of nuances to it that the different store managers have an impact on there. So just in every single stage of this book, I've tried to take uh, the lessons that I'm putting forward and live mm. now. I left my job. You know, I've got I've put myself all in to this. I've oh, broken wow. every single rule we can along the way. We were talking about Blinkist earlier on. So as soon as I was told not to talk to Blinkist, I picked up the phone to Blinkist. I'm doing a really great partnership with them um, to find out what we can do in the stores. And so there I was in taking pictures of Jordan B. Peterson with my book in front, tweeting at Jordan B. Peterson and saying, we're coming for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> you are just, incredible. Just to see what he's got to say about it. Did he say anything? Uh, cool, cool. He's not a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yes, yeah, so we just popped into Waterstones and thought, I wonder what it's going to look like. You know, in the, you know, the Waterstones has got that funny uh, genre called smart thinking, which is a little bit... Oh, yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> But nonetheless, that's where I want to be. Okay. So I was just sticking it on top of Seth Godin and Malcolm Gladwell and just all the oh, places God. that I'd like to... Sh- yeah, shut up. Here we go. Um, and, and then I saw there was the window. And I thought, oh, I wonder what it looks like in the window. So mm. I just leant over and started making <laughs> an arrangement. And then I'd get, better get some pictures from outside. <laughs> and then I was taking some out of the window, moving them around. And obviously, that, by that point, it looked like I was stealing the books. And the guys had to change. And, you know, they... It's quite a scary thing to chase a shoplifter. I mean, I don't look like a shoplifter, do I? I look like a young Tory. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, were du- they were doubly confused. <laughs> David Cameron stealing books. <laughs> Chase me out all red-faced. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? <laughs> oh, my God, wow. Really... I thought you were the funniest guest we've had. <laughs> it was really good. That's bizarre. Wow. I think I'm going to do that. Because I don't... like. I, I Change the books. No, right? not that. Just like the, the concept of... If you want to see it, just do it. Disruption. Yeah, Disruption. Just, and it makes me feel uncomfortable because I like order. order. And you know me, whenever, so, whenever like there's something that needs to be cleaned up, like, oh, God, I need to clean it up to make it look like pretty and perfect. And mm. I think this is why I argue with Derek a lot because Derek is not an orderly person. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring you up, mate, but you're not. No, go ahead, mate. But you're a pirate, so I really respect that. And I think you're mm. very important for the show because anything happens. I'm like you'll interrupt it. He's really giving me a compliment. I know, I, I am. I believe it. But, um, I don't but, know yeah, what's going like, on so I, I think... feel like, wow. No, but it's true. So, it's a oh, wow, like, I feel like this is a learning <laughs> curve. It's because right. you're here, Sam. She's <laughs> <laughs> not usually like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's going well. Um, uh, I, think it's ne- I think this is necessary upon you guys. I think that the next few years... Of- so, you know, what is the absolute only certainty that you were saying that you know, someone in my- with my ears uh, can share the, the only certainty that you can be completely sure of is total uncertainty. Nobody knows what's going to come next. Nobody mm. predicted that the fills me with dread. Grim. It, it should. It should fill you with dread. No one is coming to save you. No one knows what they're doing. <laughs> mm. The leadership of the world currently, who are your biggest leaders, do not have a master plan. Mm. You know, sadly, I've found this at every stage of my career. Right, You get higher and higher up and you kind of think, Top, there'll be someone that knows what they're doing. Yeah. And you find yourself in various boredoms, and rarely do you find the CEO that's actually got their shit together. I found myself in Downing Street, in what? You keep hoping that there's a secret cupboard full of really smart ninjas. And in all the, the answers. Somewhere. Yeah. They are not there. The leadership that your world has for the next few years, for sure, is deeply worrying and does not have a master plan that isn't really about uh, sustaining their own circumstances. So 
A, there's a necessity to be ready to break some rules. B, changes are coming. All sorts of uncertainty is coming. You know, you have, you know, you, you know how thin the financial stability mm. is based on our, our whole world. The, the rules that we've got are so thin. Very. You know, the last time there were riots on our streets, you know, what did it actually take for that to kick off? You know, mm. next it's a paper thin. And once yeah. it starts, you know, everyone realizes how close they are to real. You know, it, once it starts, it will start. So yeah. you need to be ready for a bit more resilience. And I don't just mean resilience like mental health and well-being, which is, of course, important. I mean resilience for a life living in in changing times. How do we maintain our mental health and well-being in those kind of situations? situations? I think it just gets you through, you know. Like... just Here comes Alex with the wellness. I know, but like I feel like in tumultuous times, <laughs> no, I mean, you find something in you. The thing is, what we, I think we forget is there is this inner strength for endurance of both mental and physical change. Mm. But because we haven't used that endurance so much, we forget that it's there and we forget how to be resilient and tenacious and to. Do you know what I or mean? there's just this general malaise that happens yeah and, and we and that slumber that we're so used to that comfort um, that you mentioned is is everywhere and yeah I mean I, I do agree with that I think that the rise in mental health uh, amongst young people you know can't be coincidence or disconnected from the, the other right you know the other rises the rise in social media the the rise in this kind of sense of purposelessness mm. did you see the prince's trust report it was the percentage of young people that don't believe there is a, a meaning to their lives it was terrifying it was mm. your, your, your age it was 12 to 14 it was it was horrendous and you know that really represents the kind of the underlying reasons of mental health and i think in times of great uncertainty when when it's upon us yeah. you, you find your way through but in the rest of it when you're just allowing the malaise to occur and we're not part of anything then of course the mind begins to wander or unravel are you fearless <laughs> are you fearless i no. think that's a good question that's a man. good question given because the context like I, I, I was thinking about this and i thought at the beginning of the conversation, I thought to myself, when, Ray, you talk about the limitations, how far do you take it? Mm-hmm. I thought, in order to be a pirate, realistically, you have you have to have some cojones. Like, you really need to cojones. be, like, really fearless. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, in terms of, you know, in the book, when you're talking about, um, you know, pirate radio, or when you're talking about when they set up, like, line wire and those kind of things, these people have to be... Have to be quite fearless because if they get caught, they're going to jail. They're going to prison. Do you know what I mean? Or like when you talk about Malala, like she was risking death. Like they could have killed her. And sometimes... They shot her once. This is what I mean. And she she survived. Yeah, she survived. And this is why sometimes I think with like the social media age and us, you know, online activism and stuff like that. Sometimes I just think when shit gets real... Where are you? What's going to happen? Like, do you know what I mean? What are we going to do? Mm. Um... We've been very protected. We've been living in yeah, a society. Yeah, and it's so, sometimes I think, how do you, I mean, how do you cultivate that fearlessness? Like, is it, is it, is it specific to some people? Are some people just more pirate than others? Well, I think yeah, it's, it's pirateness innate. I think it can be a habit. I think, yes, there are some people who are kind of hardwired to be rule breakers, and I'm, I'm probably one of them. I think, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. Uh, I've only had one, two real jobs. Um, and... And I realised halfway through the book that I was just a bit too much in my own bubble of, yeah, 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 we're social entrepreneurs, we'll change the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And in the small groups that I was working on, because I was so adamant that this book was for the, you know, as I get old, so multiple stories going on there. So I knew with liberty, one of the reasons I started writing the book to answer the, actually, the question that we began on, why was I doing it? Yeah. 
uh, I knew it was time for me to begin to move on. I knew, and I'd had this joke for a long while, that when I hit 40, I'd be too old to run a youth project. And that's principally what Liberty Darts works with and supports young people. And I didn't want to be that, like, 42-year-old guy saying, yeah, it's waste man, you know. And it was just like... (laughs) (laughs) Too too cringy. The the, the dub play drama's coming through now. Dub play drama's all right, though, man. I was in my 20s. Listen, that's that's a a cultural monument, man, dub play drama. If that came out now, do you know what I mean? People would... Like, go crazy for it absolutely wow. crazy for it yeah. reboot the other day, me and uh, Luke Hyams who was the originator yeah. who's now the head of originals at uh, in fact I just introduced to, to them the other day um, it was the part we sat down to talk about what Dubplate would look like now yeah and how that would look and had some quite interesting ideas so um, yeah so and, and thought, I thought it was, it was upon me to make sure that Liberty stays true and authentic to itself which is yeah. one of the reasons I was listening to um, why I'm not talking to uh, white people Um and you, you start to begin a journey where, where all that comes around. I knew that I needed to make a shift. And in the notion of this book, I needed to know that I had that same authenticity. So that's why I was in Athens. That's why I was in Baltimore, you know, testing the yeah. book. So it wasn't this 41-year-old, this is my legacy project there, being benevolent to these <laughs> children, you know, exactly the person I'm talking against. So I road-tested the hell out of it to yeah. know that the workshops, the questions were, were, were useful and real. And then at the end of it, I began to realise that the majority of people are not pirates. They're working in large organisations. They're completely conditioned to break the rules. They kind of like the idea of pirates, but by God, that's not what I want to do every day. And yeah. everything that you just said. So I widened the aperture of the book a lot. And what I think is, is that nobody is fearlessness. You know, I think that's, that's borderline you know, personality disorder, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. But actually, if every single day you, you're pushing yourself, then you're going you're gonna to learn what your capacity is for it. And I've pushed myself enough times to know that if I do this in Warstones, I'm going to do it with some respect. I'm not going to take the piss out of anyone. I'm not going to hurt anyone. Yeah. Um, but we, we will have some fun. I'll probably, you know, hopefully raise a few more rebellious laughs and we'll go somewhere good. Okay, fine. So that doesn't scare me. Hmm. And the same with the pirate radio guys. You know, they knew ultimately they were doing something good. They were meeting a need and they were going to do something great. And was that worth risking, um, you know, being locked up? Well, probably. But you see, you make an informed decision, you do the right thing. And that's what I think the pirates are. They're just rampantly going out, anarchically murdering people. It's not clockwork. It's doing something civil. It's doing something that you believe yeah. in. Well, and that's the question. What values do you have that you'd be willing to take a risk for? You, you, you protect those values or you fight for those values or you're proactive in, in championing those values, take a risk. And the interesting thing is the following day, the world hasn't stopped. You know, your bruise will go down. It will be all right. And you become more and more experienced. And it's just like any other skill. The more times you've done it, the better you get it. And that will just mean that your growth is faster. Your trajectory is further. You flex you know, your pirate exactly. muscle. If you mm. want to continue in the world you're in with NPRH, you know, you're going to get away with a lot more knowing just how far you can push it mm. and the rules that you can break. Because the rules that you've been given aren't that good. You know, you've inherited a dodgy set of rules, guys. And it's due and it's upon you to start rewriting them. So yeah. that begins with breaking them. So get comfortable with it. In all of this... In all of the ups and downs and the fearlessness and the challenges and stuff, do you find that you're happier that way? Do you find it's really, you, we wake up every morning and just think, mm-hmm. I'm content doing all this. I don't have to worry about any of... Yeah, this is the red pill, this, blue pill question. The strip, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you find that? So there's this quote that I love um, from Captain Flint, uh, who's a pirate. Uh, and it, 
we teach our children to be scared of the shadows mm. and the, in the darkness uh, terrible things that. lie but truly in the darkness lies freedom liberation and power I really believe in that mm. I think we've given ourselves this you know, there's, there's never not a bogeyman is there there's mm. never not the thing that we should all be wary of and yeah the more I find liberation the more, the more you can try and be true to yourself the further you go and yeah the happier you are my wife um, to get personal I met her in 2007 in, on, on June the 30th actually um, and after knowing me for a little while and Liberty was growing and I've always been very invested in, in young people mentoring lots of other things she said why do you make, spend so much time trying to make other people happy when you're not happy yourself and she saw right through me and she saw this kind of saviour complex that I had trying to put things right and no single person probably has done more to help me face the more difficult questions and and understand who you really are and and the, in that space which is often dark right you're often scared of many of those things of who we really are or, or ashamed of what that might be or the judgments that the world has put upon us or the prejudices and all of that stuff but yeah the closer you are the more comfortable you are with your shitty true self probably the happier you wake up <laughs> wow well i mean that's a perfect way to end this section yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, I appreciate I mean, that. Yeah. Um, I like that. I'm yeah. I'm very inspired. My wife will laugh right through me. You're not bloody true with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but she's taking me on a journey. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, cool. Well, that's been our discussion on be more pirate. Be more pirate, guys. Well, we haven't even started. We haven't even started. I know. Right. Touched on. It's, oh wow! Right, I think. Right, okay. Wow. Well, I, I, I like to say one last thing. Yes, yeah, one last. You said you had questions. Yeah, you I said you had questions. I know. Um, We're going to go into Missy Flicks, but go for it. Book is out on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the horizon for me. Ooh. If you think Waterstones was causing trouble. Ooh. <laughs> You're going to give us a flood of piracy. <laughs> Giving us that mischievous grin like. I'm recruiting you. <laughs> Can't believe he called himself looking like a young Tory. Uh, early in the morning, <laughs> I'm going to be raising a flag and I will ask you to help me wave it in the direction of more pirates. Okay. We're ready. We're down. Good, Good to have you board. <laughs> going to pull. <laughs> Okay, so. so for mostly flicks guys this week we watched um, just to kind of add on to the the, the topic of piracy. pirates and piracy um, we watched Steve Jobs um, starring Michael Fassbender you did and um, I directed watched, yeah I've watched this movie like four times yeah, yeah yeah I haven't seen it I watched it in the cinema like three times that was the homework even I watched it hey thank you first of all um, I can't believe I'm shocked you haven't watched it. I thought you would have watched it when it came out. I know it was literally on the her, I was going to, and then yeah. I didn't. And then Clarissa was like, "You, Did you really love like Fastbender? I love Fastbender. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's like really fine. Yeah, my wife loves Fastbender. Right? I've woken up in the morning and she told me I've just been having a dream about Fastbender. <laughs> oh Go my god! <laughs> I love Fastbender. Mainly it's Magneto though. Oh, oh right, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's great. Magneto. <laughs> no, man, I like the film was. Good. I like him in Jane Eyre. I'm sorry. <laughs> the film was good. Um, it's on. It's on Netflix, guys. Check mm. it out. But um, I felt like what what was the what were the key things that you guys picked up from that film because the way that this kid's character was so well i mean i think narcissistic the film was so i was surprised at how honest the film was yeah. about him like he's an arsehole <laughs> clearly he's an arsehole but he was a genius like there's this great scene where he's talking to um steve watney and was um, Wozniak. Wozniak, sorry and then he and he basically just is kind of like you know what what what, what do you do 
Yeah. Like, and he's just like, I play the orchestra. Yeah. And I, I, honestly, yeah, I feel like that is the perfect, like, phrase for, like, management and, yeah. and how to, con- do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's also very arrogant, of yeah. course it is. Like, I don't know how to do anything, but you guys do, that's fine. And I'll show you how to Put do it together. That. Yeah, exactly. That's um, me. Hmm? Is Continue. that you? Is oh, it? Okay. <laughs> oh, cool. um, Shut I think, up, Alex. Yeah, I think one of the, the standout things about it was also the fact that, like, even though Steve was saying that, oh, you don't know how to code, you don't know how to do this, you don't yeah. know how to do that. And he's like, you know, this, you're the only one who cares that it's a perfect cube, it's going to fail. And he's like, well, tell me something I don't know. And it's like, this, like, he's a genius because he can predict what is going to happen and yeah. how this is all going to end. Right. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't need to know how to do anything because he has foresight. Yeah. He could see that people are going to start shaking. They're yeah. going to buy him out. Kate Winslet is in it, isn't she? Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, there's a lot of big names in it. Um, yeah. Okay. And I thought, what, I don't know, just watching it, it's, it's really inspiring it watching in- it. Yeah, it was interesting how he came up, they came up with the ideas, like certain things that he saw, um, like obviously with his daughter and he was like, I'm tired of seeing you walking around with this Walkman. Like you're gonna, I'm gonna have fifty songs, a hundred songs, a thousand songs, anything in your pocket, but not this big clunky piece of crap that you're walking around with. Mm. And then obviously we have the iPod, and then that's revolutionised the way everybody listens to music now, and all these different things. And um, there was even the, some, I mean, was it was it called the network, the Gallic, the um, the Newton, yeah, oh, which yeah. was which was the notepad yeah, stylus. Yeah, yeah. And he was just like, it failed because you have a stylus when there's five. There's five styluses on your hand. Like, it was obviously... What did you think, though, though? Because I think he did a really good job of portraying what a total arsehole he was. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was, I mean, worse than an arsehole. He but, uh, denied his child. He, <laughs> you know, pretty much... Neg- ne- abuse, right? That's neglect and yeah. abuse of his child. He purposefully did the deal days... Uh, on a different day so that he'd get out of paying his wife money. You know, he bullied the hell out of people. He didn't give people credit for the ideas they came up with. And yet he still... You know, I don't think. I think the fact that he's a you know intelligent white man gets him away with a lot of stuff that would be mm. completely, you know, unacce- unacceptable. And mm. yet he's just such a genius, mm. and he just does it so bloody well that he still ultimately the duality of it. I thought was brilliant. I thought the film captured the duality really well because I've read the book and I think it ends, everyone ends up being a bit sycophantic about Steve Jobs. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I've got a quote from him. On the yeah, yeah. Front. yeah. <laughs> I'm all in. Um, What's the quote? The quote is, "I'd rather be a pirate pirate than join join the navy." Navy. No one, no one has given me permission for to put on the front of that book. And I, uh, of all the conversations we had around the beautiful book and the artwork and not having a title on the cover and not having my name and all these great things and and there's brilliant debates and discussions and I'm, you know, very grateful to the to the team for letting that get through because there aren't many books that don't have a title on them. Yeah. Uh, but rule breaking had to be part of it. The fact that we got Steve Jobs quote, no one even questioned because we were arguing about everything else so much. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I really saw that you out for the point that we were saying earlier on in him. And I, I found it really uncomfortable because he was just a total, like, see unit. Like, uh, mm. again and again, I still have respect for him. I still walk around with an Apple phone. Yeah. Mm. And I will never leave. Mm. I complain about it all the One time. One thing that I, I really thought was it was kind of like how how audacious he was like the fact that he wanted to be he wanted he wanted it to be a closed loop like i still find that so i find it so annoying that i can't plug regular headphones into my iphone it pisses me off do you know what i mean yeah but at the same time it's like but we'll still go out and buy the adapter to plug in and do you know you could do that before huh you could do that before you can't do it now but then but but you don't have to have the, the apple bluetooth you could just use the bluetooth headphones 
But what, that's what? his whole. So you know, when he comes back, it's just he, like he accuses Wozniak of messing the company up, and they were making everything open. And he was mm. like, absolutely everything is closed. He's kind of in a way the the antithesis of the technology movement, yeah. mm. making open principles and in some way pirate principles. Um, of complete control and mastery of that brand, and I think it's mm. because it has such an ego that he knows better than anyone else. And that's and it's it was interesting that he is in denial the whole time. When anybody says, you know, this is weird, you know, you're playing out your issues, mm. and the, the kind of father relationship he has with Jeff Daniels, which I find weird because I just yeah. seemingly look like Jeff Daniels. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god, <laughs> that's who it was. <laughs> Uh, and the, you know this, the, the 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 whole thing about him calling it Lisa and whatever, but he's kind of in such denial. He's so far on the spectrum, yeah. that he can't even recognise that these are you know it, it, him acting out yeah. those issues. Yeah, I'm and gonna have to go watch Syrian it. Syrian refugee. I, I, that was part of the story that. Yeah, that, that, that did kind of come quite quickly and go quite quickly. Yeah, they make the time, but really, I mean, for the context of the times we're in, is a really important. It is a, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was adopted. He was given up for adoption quite early one thing I didn't notice I saw I watched in the cinema when it came out and this time around I noticed something different Was and maybe it goes to your point Derek about the the craft of the machines was the mm. craft of the film like obviously as you know Aaron Sorkin who I think would make a chat with a taxi driver you know into a movie <laughs> so such good stuff and Danny Boyle I think their contrasting styles comes across really well but um, it looked to I mean it looked like it and I checked it so I, I'll tell the truth um, but the the grade changed as the film goes on mm. and it's because they shoot you know it's three different eras yeah mm. they shot the first one in 16 mil they shot the second one in 35 mil and they shot the final one in digital oh right yeah. oh wow which is just such a such mm. a lovely bit of yeah. detailed storytelling yeah that kind of helps move you through the aesthetic and then the time yeah mm. it kind of made me think about what it would have been like being at that point in 1984 or three or whenever it was right in the 80s when, when it was yeah used. yeah when they would Starting off like the, the Apple, well, not starting off, but we're, they were kind of in the throes of the Apple Mac and Macintosh and Apple Mac and Apple Two and all these different things. It kind of made me think, like, what would that have been like? Like this, all this innovation, all these new. Now we're so ingrained in Apple, like you you won't go far. I mean, I've got an Apple Watch, and then mm. you know, there's we've all got oh, iPhones God, and a MacBook, MacBook and all these it. things. Like we have My all Mac. we have all these things. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I do remember it. Like, I, remember like in the, my, I do remember it. Like early, yeah. like, I do remember it. But then it's like now at this point where we're, na- where we're at now, we're so fully in it. Like, yeah. like he doesn't even have to be alive to know That's that. Interesting. So I'm old enough to maybe not quite remember when it came. But 1984 is the mm. year that uh, famous advert hit. And it's a very interesting year in terms of consumerism. It was the first time the Olympics was ever sponsored. It's when material go, you know, it's the mm. height of human kind of consumer culture. Um, and at that point, they were the... 94? 84. 84. 84, wow. And the advert was kind of based on oh, Orwell, Orwell. and Orwell. Smashing Yeah. Uh, and we all really got into Apple's young because it was the outside of the, the, the rebel. Do you, as a younger generation, do you consider Apple as a rebellious brand or as the institution? Do you think it's the pirates or the Navy? It's the Navy. It's what I... Why? What I would go for, as in I. No. For me, it's I, would, I wouldn't the Navy. say. It's, I wouldn't say it's the navy. I would say that. As in, it, right it, now, it if depend, you ask depend, me, depends on how you use it. Depends on how you use it. Okay. I feel like there are part, there are things within Apple product. Like I think, I think the way they've marketed it as well. Like if you're somebody who likes, if you're if you're a creative person, and if you like to you know, be able to do really cool things like technical, technologically wise. But you think and, it's, it's if you like to be pirate. Put, pardon? Is that what you're trying to, like, if, if you want to yeah, be a pirate. Yeah, if you want to do, if you want to do things, you know that, and you know that someone's doing it with an apple. 
I feel like for some reason. Mm, but I think whereas, whereas on a PC, there are limitations. I do no. feel. But the thing, the, I think the way that Apple... I feel Apple's, restricted on a PC. I think the way Apple started, just going back to what you asked, is it... I think this is how it always is. It's things start off as rebellion and somehow it, it just norm. gets... It, it it turns into the status quo. Like, it, yes. it really gets... Cons- like, you know, we're in um, 15 million units in um, that Black Mirror episode where he's rebelling and he's got the... The, the sharp thing to his neck mm-hmm. and then eventually he's got his own TV show where he's got the thing to his neck yeah. Yeah. and it's like I was reading about Dadaism like anti, the anti-art movement mm-hmm. and things like punk and yeah. grime and stuff like that where it's like we're anti-establishment but, but we become, they become the establishment. part of yeah. the establishment right. and I think that's what's happened with Apple Actually, as well like for example I don't sorry um, I don't do much with computers with me it's I need a computer to go and either write something or literally limited use and I don't think let me get a Toshiba or whatever. I think, well, I'm going to get a Mac because like, like a MacBook. And literally when I think of computers, I think of Apple. I don't think of... Really? I don't even, yeah, that's literally. Strange, like, that's just strange. I don't, that's strange. I think of a PC. I never think yeah, of a Mac. Really? I, 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 I think had, of a I MacBook. Had, I had a PC like even when like at universities, when I was at university, we're all like sitting down and people will just... It, I, literally everyone will I have think, a Mac. Wait, I think wait, the wait, Mac... Wait, before you get into Mac versus yeah. PC... You said uh, I'm asking <laughs> some questions, and I'd like to build on that point about yeah, how you create change. Because I have a question for you about how you create change. Right. Mm. So the pirate, what defines pirates? When you say is that a bit more pirate rate mm-hmm. like, as Apple? Because it, what I'm defining it as is breaking a rule to re- remake a rule, the mm-hmm. rewriting of rules. That's what I think is upon you. So, you congratulations, you guys. You've reached this position of power and influence. You've made this very successful show, which is really beautifully made and has a, an, an avid listenership and a very influential one. I, you Thank know, you. Congratulations on your place on the future book list. Thank you. The industry is looking at you. Mm. To draw another uh, highbrow literary reference, you know, mm. with great power comes great responsibility. Mm. How do you view your responsibility and what are you going to do with it? You know what? Just, Just... Get young people reading. I think that's that's where it comes down to at the end of the day. The, uh, what we're responsible for is getting more books into people's hands, and it's one of the reasons why I've got my young mentee Rashan here. We've made a couple references to him, and I think people are probably thinking who who's we're that? talking about. <laughs> yeah, but we've got young. Now nah, he's too shy. Rashan, you want? Now nah, he's too shy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's what just. <laughs> I got him some Mallory Blackman book. I got him Holes as well. Nice. Um, I don't know how far he is through. I need to catch up with him about that. But yeah, I think it's just about putting more books into young people's hands. Getting, I always, I'm really focused on getting young black boys reading because obviously, as we see, it's usually, I mean, people always say, oh, you black people read, blah, blah, blah. But look, young black boys are not reading as much as, as other people. And I think they can really benefit from it. Do you know what I mean? In terms mm-hmm. of helping them understand their positions in the world and you know developing a better kind of empathy like i talk to my some of my cousins and, and i say things to them and they're just looking at me like what, what are you talking about like, i've never been never been here like i was walking along the thames with my friend adrian and um he was just like he's like he's like 20 odd and he was just like right you know man's never been here before you know like he's never been he's never he's never like obviously you know as londoners we never go and do like sightseeing yeah, things yeah. and whatnot and all that kind of thing but he's just like i've never even thought to come out here like yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think, yeah, reading literature can give people the opportunity to... Absolutely. Critique the yeah, world. Yeah, and, and, and want to explore more. It gives, yeah. it, it creates a curiosity. And I think mm. that that's really important as well. I yeah. think that's, that's one of our responsibilities, to be honest. I think, I think that our responsibility is 
no, I don't know if it's a responsibility, but it's a, a, providing a space whereby we can talk about the world that we live in in a way that isn't monitored, in a way that isn't overseen by a hierarchy that tells us this is how you're supposed to do things. Because I'm always conscious and I'm like always ranting to the boys when whenever we do have like, I don't know, like sponsorship or whatever. My biggest thing is our content content needs to be un filtered it needs to not have restrictions so when we like are working with people that is my main thing is if i want to say something i will say it i don't care if you're paying me for it i don't care if you're not paying me for it and allowing that space where people can talk about things in a way that is critiquing the world in a way that is um important um as well as ensuring that people who don't have a voice are given a voice Mm -hmm. so like a lot of guests that we have had on the show have been people that i would say like especially in our like you know in our like first few episodes the guests that we've had on are people that are not always given the platform the recognition the 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 money to be able to have a voice and to talk and i feel like it's important for us to do that um so yeah i feel like we're the (laughs) the underdog supporters um yeah and i feel like we should continue to do that like regardless of how like when you say oh you know you're like very influential and 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 you know you congratulations on this like i guess because i'm not in the industry i don't really see that i'm just like you're safe yeah i literally to me i'm just like oh thank (laughs) you but in my head it's like when people like i still go on like soundcloud and i see listens i'm like why would anybody sit and listen to us talk this much rubbish do you know what i mean so yeah, well, that's that's that's, the, that's a natural journey of a creator, and it's good. You, you want to make sure you never lose that humility. I, I feel the same. Yeah, sit down with someone and they like, oh, enjoyed your book. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm having a stranger experience than that because I keep um, now running into people who've read the book and they're enacting some kind of rebellion, like seriously from from the you know, did Ed Miliband podcast the other day and he totally rebelled and took a 10 minute episode and released it the next day I've had a young woman who's campaigning to get her, her best friend released from Yarl's Wood who's being illegally detained I've got your people who've contacted me saying I'm resigning you're like yeah. there's an even another level and so I, I share that to let you know that you it would be um, irresponsible of you now to not recognise the responsibility that you have yeah. you do and you have that responsibility as faces and voices that you've, you've actively got out to be in an industry that is particularly non-diverse that is looking for change and you now have that place of influence so don't be too surprised by your listens anymore mm. and I, I ask the question with the great uh, you know power you have what comes next with the responsibility because I think mm. it's upon you yeah uh, Alex what's your view on it <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've had time to think so you've had time to you think you give us some good answers uh, we, want, we want wisdom mm. <laughs> yeah. no, I think, I've got a couple more questions I think that I don't know I think that um as long as as long as people listen and they take and they take and they take the genuineness that we're coming with and the the stories and the conversations that we're coming with, I think that's the main importance that we have. We're having the conversations that a lot of people um, have never really had before, and I think that that's one of the few things that I think that's our responsibility to have those conversations and to even just bring it up. And the more conversations we're having across industry wide. And just generationally, that's how we start to impact change and look at and try to create general different thoughts and collaborate and create new and great, wonderful things. So I think that's probably our responsibility that way. I mean, it marries the two, the the young people and the underdogs, and it just helps us 
like see that see those changes happen because yeah. when it's an amazing thing for me when I see people respond and they're just like oh I listened to this such and the other and I really agree with what book. you said or yeah. I bought this book and I'm just like wow like these are conversations that I've been having for a while and I just wanted to bring it to here so yeah. that's the responsibility protecting that authenticity I think is absolutely key your, your point about not you, you can't let your conversations with the industry that's going to get more excited about you influence what you do yeah you need to be very careful i would say about any kind of paid relationships you know within the publishing industry as it continues and maybe yeah absolutely consider, consider not whilst i know you need to grow the sustainability of it in your careers um so i've got two more questions but one 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 of them is just building specifically on that point so um the uh, oecd um did a large piece of research which found that unequivocally the biggest indicator of positive life outcomes when measured at 15 is a love and appreciation of, of literacy. Mm. Um, if you can read, and not just be able to read, not just you know the A to B, but enjoy active participation in stories because it links to identity and belonging and you know life, bigger than anything else, bigger than background of your parents, you know, bigger than than, than uh, income of your household income. So actually, your point is really important. So. How does this, you know, what, what more could be done by, by you as leaders, you know, of the industry that we're in to get, because currently this country is way behind. Yeah. Way behind. We have yeah. shockingly low rates of literacy. literacy yeah. Um, and teenagers, particularly teenage boys and particularly young black teenagers, I mean, boys, you know, it gets worse and worse. Mm. So, yes, I completely agree. This is a set of authentic conversations. But as leaders in the publishing industry, now, what, what, what more? If you, if you, if you had a, a budget or you, you if you knew that the chief execs were listening to the show what would you say go into schools, go into like, schools. Put, us in, put us in schools yeah. put us in workshops like, or just make content that will appeal to these people yeah. i think that that's really um i think with a lot of companies and whatnot they're quite detached like they don't really know what to do and a lot of the time you hear these um people talking about you know people in in um different businesses and whatnot and they they go to like the black person and say how can we appeal to this audience what do we need to do to appeal? They, have, they have no idea they how to no do idea. it so i think we or all the thing or they won't even do that do you know what i mean they'll just ask they won't even pay someone they'll ask someone oh can you help us do this um, and whatnot and i think it, and they expect free yeah i think as well what they should do is just kind of put more of us in these positions so we can then reach these people or once we have like you're saying we've got the power to influence now try and do more of that like yeah. you know what i mean so work on projects that appeal to these people and get these people bring these people in once we're in a certain position bring this person in or bring that person in do you know what i mean yeah i think there is this um admiration and there's a desperation to to look at the past and to to just stay there and to not want to move forward and I think that allows for the stagnation and that detachment that you talked about Derek of not being able to appeal to a certain group of people because you don't know what they do whilst you're very much stuck on I don't know if it's if it's with regards to like schools as you mentioned you know we're teaching people Shakespeare and I love Shakespeare but I can appreciate that the modern day young black guy like young 15 year old black boy may not and what are we putting we can on bring them othello 
<laughs> and what are we putting on on their like roster and and their like um school table that will appeal to them and allow them to love literature because literature need not be so highbrow for it to be loved and for it to be um persuasive and and in- interesting so why are we not putting prisoners to the streets um in the in the bloody um curriculum why are it we is st- slowly is it yeah it's been introduced into one school though. yeah yeah i saw that well it, do you know it's those types of things those mm. types of piracy type things that needs to be put on the curriculum for people like young people young 15 year olds to yeah. love literature and i've got something yeah. up my sleeve as well okay derek <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i think things need to be modern they need to appeal to yep. people and they need to come from a lived experience not a learned experience if you want to learn about a particular culture a particular type of people to be able to put something forward to them why not get somebody who has lived it who can give a more authentic view and can appeal to more people and has anyone ever got you into schools doing exactly what you've just proposed no not yet <laughs> not yet though so we should, we, should we try and put that right oh, so what are I'm, you doing i'm just looking up here so i can see that dame julia cleverden is the chair of the national literacy trust right she's a very nice woman i've met her she's a force of nature when julia cleverton wants to get shit done people listen she marches them left right and center are you sending her a message so well let's let's talk to our let's talk to your listeners okay if 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 you listen to the show and you think these these wise guys should be in schools around the country actually taking their message of literacy and empowerment and curiosity mm. to the pupils of this country and getting them engaged mm. then what we need behind us is probably someone like the national literacy trust who can make things happen they can wheel the power of the publishers and probably be the bridge between these guys being in school. So if you think that's the case, let's collectively start getting at Julia Cleverden. I'm trying to find out her handle somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> can't find it. Tweet her. Come on, find Julia. It. Do oh, your thing, girl. Find is the National Literacy Trust. They're definitely on Twitter. Okay, so they, they could be a good competing... They're, they're a good competing group. So we get the National Literacy Trust. Right. Point to them, at them, link uh, the podcast, link the guys, and let's start a conversation and see if... Pretty soon, these three can't be in a room uh, with that organisation. My my part will be a follow-up today. Yeah. I'll, I'll send an email to them saying exactly what I've just heard you say and that there's a plan on the table waiting for them. <laughs> Amazing. I like awesome. it. Last question then. Building yes. on that, so mm-hmm. take it from the idea of literacy, which is essential. So uh, let's, 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 let's assume, right, Penguin Random House, where, where certainly you work, biggest publisher, and they're doing amazing things. They've been cited a few times for their innovations and success in audiobooks they're my publisher so let's say that tom weldon the chief exec there and his leadership team uh they're going to their away day and their their, their bus blows up right and they're all wiped out <laughs> oh, like, designated survivor designated yeah, yeah. survivor who would Which, it be derek the, the, derek is the next most senior person <laughs> so, so by Denmark, if derek doesn't bring us in it's, well, a, that's it's war gonna that's what he's gonna do all right so he's gonna bring us in can i be can i be you, can I you, can I be so you're, so you're coo derek say yes Okay. Yeah, why not? Yeah, All right, yeah, cool. Great. Thank Alex you. So now you're the leadership team of Penguin starting Monday morning. Oh, my day? God. One, day one. What's, what's the first thing you're going to do to change this industry up? Wow. Okay. Wow. Right. So we're going to take all those emails that are probably in their inboxes of people and agents who have books that, you know, need need to be read and need to be published what i will do is i will assemble a team who will look at all of those emails and maybe i'll the first thing i'll I look at how sam said i'm the boss but ray's talking <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah, I you can ray's be gonna the- get a promotion <laughs> you're, you're gonna face mutiny <laughs> well i'm a pirate so of yeah, course i will yeah. um yeah and i will literally I'm, I'm, i think i might go in there and search up all like ethnic names <laughs> people who have like people are not like 
I mean, maybe not a jack of the, <laughs> you know, so maybe, I don't know, a different type of name, a different type of story. Okay. And I'll, I'll literally bring them in for a meeting, every single one of them. Well, not everyone, maybe it's not feasible. But um, yeah. And then I will go through each like Waterstones bookshop and I will be like, these are the types of people that I want you to put on their, like the front of their mm. bookshops in terms of like marketing and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you're putting a rocket under the diversity. Absolutely. Thing. Alex? And I'll pay people more because you people are broke. <laughs> Alex? <laughs> I think that I would, I don't know what my role would be, mm. but it would definitely be something to do with outreach. Okay. So oh, I'll probably. Christian Day's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Come to do missionary. <laughs> no, Let's um, reach out. No, I probably. You make a perfect prob- penguin. I'd probably. Call it mostly penguin. I'd probably um, go to be in the schools, be with the influencers, be with the all of these new people and new ideas. Get them in, either get them, either get them in for a discussion, get yeah. them in for other interns, or you know, you know, figuring out how we can market using these new ideas and these new energies, and just making them a part. Even the book bloggers and the YouTube blo- booktubers and stuff. I think that that would probably be an interesting um, thing to do. I don't know. Like, I think that would probably just be, I'll probably just go, I'll probably just, you know, deploy the people out and just yeah. make it a huge wave across. Yeah. Make it a bit more of a... Yeah. What I would do... What would you do, Eric, as quickly, CEO? before we go, before I would literally, it's going to sound so wild, I would okay. get rid of the classic back catalogue. I would absolutely obliterate it and say, let's stop putting money into these, yeah. let's stop creating classics that are just very arbitrary most of the time. Yeah. And let's put more money behind upcoming authors, upcoming author, new, yes. and, you know, new authors who are going to take us yeah. to the next level. We're going to put the classics in the dungeon yeah. so that they can be brought up by archaeologists when they want to like study people before us. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's we're going to put them in the dungeon. Behind. We're not, we're not going to burn them we... because Jane Austen. No. Yeah, we um, yeah. We don't burn books. We don't, we don't burn books. It's not Fahrenheit 451. We have come to the end of the show. Yes. We actually oh. have time. We have to okay. Do. He's just on the tweet. Trust. If you need some new ideas around literacy for young people in schools, you need to get in touch with them. the guys at Mostly Lit. They've got new ideas for you. Clarissa Pavi. Sam Conniff, ladies and gentlemen. Sam Conniff. Share that. Share that tweet. Let's see if we can't get a response to these guys by Monday. Thank you. Absolutely, a new imprint. Or an imprint for black women. That's what I want. Okay, we've come to the end of the show, guys. We really have to go. And I'm going to make sure that Derek is not CEO because I'm CEO. That's her main priority. (laughs) Right. Oh my God, like have a recording that goes past our allotted time. I love it. Female pirate. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you so much to you, Sam, for coming on the show. Sam, where can they find you? Where can they find you quickly? At Sam Conniff. On Twitter? Or bemorepirate.com or where you can buy the books directly or if you fancy someone who pays less taxes, go to amazon.com where the book is discounted (laughs) now and help me with my bestseller algorithm. Thank you, guys. The book is out this Thursday. Uh, Please go and buy it and tell us what you think. Tell Sam what you think. Um, What else? Don't forget to rate, review, rate, review. And, and subscribe, subscribe comment, and, blah, 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 all yeah, that comment, stuff. Comment, send us your thoughts. Don't forget to email us at mostlylit at gmail.com. Yeah. And if you think it could be any better, start your own podcast now. From what I've seen, it's actually quite straightforward. It's a couple of microphones and some guys on a sofa. <laughs> He's trying to give us competition. But you know what? Yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Right? Because we need pirates to make more pirates. Because we're pirates. Right. 
Anyway, so this has been mostly pirate. <laughs> mostly um, pirate. Um, catch, us, catch us on the socials. Rate, review, yeah. subscribe. See you next week, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.